What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sean Jones NBA Show. I'm recording this on Friday afternoon, December 15th. We've had quite a jam-packed week with headlines just starting most prominently with the Draymond Green suspension and the Warriors just looking like an absolute mess right now. So I will talk through that and what that kind of means for Golden State moving forward. Um, then we'll talk about the <laughs> scuffle, debacle, whatever you want to call it, between the Pacers and Bucks that happened earlier this week over the who got the basketball, <laughs> um, as well as Giannis's huge, huge game against Indiana. Then I will shift over to uh, the Clippers to talk about how they've looked much, much better as of late after that rough start um, once Harden was uh, acquired from Philadelphia. And then I will talk through some of the bottom feeders in the league, most notably the Pistons, Spurs, and Wizards, and just kind of what is going on with those teams right now. But uh, with that being said, let's get right into it. So starting off with the Draymond Green situation. So on Tuesday night, the Warriors and the Suns played in Phoenix, and a little bit into the third quarter, there was a play where suddenly Nurkic is on the ground. It was kind of hard to see live. And then they showed the replay. And to put it quite frankly, Draymond just straight up punched Nurkic in the face. I mean, <laughs> there was no doubt about it after looking at that replay. And um, it was a pretty shocking thing to see. But not that shocking when you consider the last 14 months that Draymond has had. Just in a little over a year, he has punched his own teammate, Jordan Poole, in practice. That video leaked. Um, Draymond was away for the team for maybe a couple days, but did not receive any sort of suspension from the team or the league. He did publicly apologize, both to Poole and the Warriors and just everyone involved. Um, but it left a mark on the team. They were not the same last year. They certainly had some issues. They've talked publicly about it. Steve Kerr has specifically when they were eliminated last year versus the Lakers. He brought that up and said, look, that that definitely threw us off. Um then we get to last year's playoffs where he stomps on Demonis Sabonis's chest in the playoffs. Um, was eventually suspended one game for that, but didn't really say sorry for that one either. He kind of just defended it, said, Sabonis grabbed my leg. And you could tell right after the play, I mean, he was riling up that crowd while they were reviewing it. He was trying to get them uh, <laughs> riled up and it, it, it was weird. <laughs> he like looked like he was insane doing it. And <laughs> it, the insanity continues into this year as earlier this year, uh, he had put Rudy Gobert basically in a chokehold and not for two seconds, but like 30 seconds. Um, he ended up getting a five game suspension, but again, he kind of defended his actions. I mean, he said he was standing up for his teammate and then he had no regrets and blah, blah, blah. Didn't really apologize to Gobert either. Um, and then this incident with Nurkic where, like I said, he pretty much just, <laughs> I mean, swung and punched him right in the face. Um, he did say sorry this time, said he didn't mean to do it. He was just trying to sell the call. Um, and he even reiterated that he only says sorry when he doesn't mean to do something, um, which, I mean, I've got news for you, Draymond. <laughs> Sometimes you should say sorry for things that you still meant to do if they're bad things. Um, but he has since been uh, suspended by the league indefinitely. So they have not named a finite amount of time that he'll be out. 
They said that he will need to pass certain criteria in order to return. Um, and it's been presumed that he'll get some sort of professional help or counseling or whatnot. Um, but all of this is not even to mention, like, this is not a recent thing. I mean, there is a literally a four-minute YouTube video of him with, uh, like, making dirty plays. And this does not include the most recent ones either. I mean, whether it be kicking Steven Adams in the nuts, trying to basically throw Kawhi to the ground, um, basically tackling AD twice in the backcourt back when he was on the Pelicans, um, poking LeBron in the eyes during the play-in game a few years ago, the nut shot he had on LeBron in 2016, which led to a flagrant, which then he was suspended for because if you get a uh, certain amount of flagrants in the playoffs, then you get suspended. Um, and that might have even cost them a championship that year. Um, he's also just annually among the league leaders and technicals and flagrants and has served suspensions um, in the past because of it. Because if you get 16 or more technicals in a single season, then you have to get um, sit out a game. And then every tech after that, you <laughs> additionally have to sit out a game. Um, and I think a lot of this stuff for years has been like, well, these things are kind of what makes Draymond Draymond and what makes him good at what he does. And I mean, people were buying that for a while, but this is getting too frequent, too excessive. And so I just don't think that's a valid excuse anymore. If you can't be an effective player without this kind of stuff, then there's just no place for him in the NBA right now. He is a total I mean, he's a menace on the court. He actually has issues. I literally, after that play, was like, does this guy have, like, CTE or something? Like, he's, he, I don't know what goes through his head. Um, he has shown very little remorse over the years for pretty much all these things. He's always kind of defending it. He's saying, like, well, this is what, what I made my career off of is um, how I play, and I'm just getting people's faces. I'm energetic. I'm uh, <laughs> playing defense intensely. Uh, whatever he wants to blame it on, he's literally dangerous on the court right now. He's not; these are not basketball plays. This is bad for basketball if they let stuff like this continue to go on. Um, he could seriously injure someone. I mean, he's lucky Gobert is such a big guy. If he did that to a guard, he, I mean, it might have seriously hurt him. Same with Nurkic, big dude. If he did that to a smaller guy, he might have actually been knocked out or something like that. Um, the Sabonis thing is very serious as well. I mean, it's just time after time after time he is just a danger to the other team seriously and it's embarrassing for him and the Warriors um I mean the Warriors have been somewhat complicit in this in a way because they encourage him to play that way and they like they didn't suspend him with, with the pool punch it would have been totally justified for them to make him sit out the first couple games even just one game last year because of the punch and I think that they weren't going to really do anything until the video leaked. And then they felt like they had to make it kind of a thing and take him away from the team or whatever. But he's also just letting the Warriors down. I mean, they're clearly better when he plays. I think there's something like two and seven or two and eight in games this year where he's either suspended or ejected. So they're just not the same team. Everyone knows that he's been basically their second most important player after Steph um, throughout this whole dynasty, even probably more so than Clay, despite Clay being a better player at times in his career. Um, but we'll see how long this goes. I think that if the indefinite kind of buys the NBA some time to see, look, if he passes all their checkpoints after four or five games, I still think that's insufficient. I think this needs to be minimum 10 to 15, if not 20 to 25 games. I mean, look at John Morant. He had two things in a short span, and they – 
the gun things are serious 100%, but it's not putting people directly in danger. It's more of just reputationally and um, the influence that he might have on the youth and what that does for people following basketball. But this is directly potentially hurting people. So it's totally inexcusable. To me, 25 games feels appropriate. And to be honest, if he comes back and does something similar again, I think he'll be done for the rest of the season. That's kind of what people have said. Um, And if that happens, then who knows what's in his future. I mean, if he seriously has three incidents like this and is done for the whole season, he just signed a uh, four-year extension with the Warriors. So he's got three years after this. But look, it... (laughs) I could see them really wanting to move off of him if, if that was the case, and they might kind of just let it play out and make Draymond make the decision for them. If he can come back and behave, then they'll they'll just keep him and ride out what they have. But if he comes back and like gets basically suspended for an entire year, then they he might force their hand into moving off of him, and I wouldn't blame them because the the pros are not outweighing the cons for this guy uh, <laughs> right now at all, and then. Just the Warriors as a whole are kind of a mess right now. So they started the year six and two. They're now ten and fourteen. So they've gone four and twelve in their last sixteen games. Um, their starting lineup, which has was one of like the absolute best lineups over the past couple of years of um, Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, and Looney. Their net rating this year is minus nine point eight, which is puts them right up there with basically like the Pist- Pistons and Spurs <laughs> like level of play. Um, so they've been just flat out terrible. I mean, their bench has carried them in most of their games. Um, and look, I, I know Clay had a pretty good game last night, but um, I did pull some stats on both him and Wiggins before last night. So these stats are probably slightly updated, but um, both of these guys have just been awful. I mean, I have no idea what happened to Andrew Wiggins. He's only 28 years old, so it, it's just bizarre to see this sort of decline from him. Um, among players with uh, 20% or higher usage rate, Wiggins, <laughs> he doesn't rank well. He's shooting 41% from the field, 28% from three, 63% from the line, so he's not making shots from anywhere. And before this, he was uh, the past few seasons with the Warriors, he was 47% from the field and 38% from three on higher volume as well. But he is tied for the worst in the entire NBA among high usage players in offensive rating with a 94 tied with Jordan Poole. Um, His defense hasn't been much better. He's a 118 defensive rating, so he's a minus 24 net rating overall this season. He is the second worst true shooting in the entire NBA at below 48%. The second worst effective field goal percentage at just uh, over 45%. He's the third worst in terms of offensive win shares this year at a negative 0.8. He's only a 7.3 player efficiency rating, which is dead last in the NBA for high usage guys. He is second to last in box plus minus at minus 7.2. He's averaging nearly two times as many turnovers as assists this season. He is, I mean, there's a legitimate argument to be made that he has been the worst player in the NBA this season. I'm not saying he has, but there's an argument. I mean, he's he's not defending at all. He's not making outside shots. He's taking bad shots. He's not making close shots. He can't get to the free throw line. He's not making it when he gets to the free throw line. He's turning the ball over. He's not playmaking at all for anybody. And he looks like a worse version of what he was in Minnesota. Like he's he's reverting back to all the bad habits that he had, but just <laughs> not really doing any of the good stuff either. Um, so, so I 
I, j- I don't even know what to say about Wiggins. Like, it's just weird. I, <laughs> he's not at all the player he was the past few years where he was a one of the best 3 and D guys in the whole league. I mean, when they won the championship in 2022, I think he was their second best player. He was a great, he <laughs> was amazing at rebounding for them. He was a really nice secondary scorer. He was um, really their go-to wing defender, and he's not doing any of those things well uh, right now. And then Clay. Clay's makes a little bit more sense because he's older and coming off of two major injuries. But he just looks washed, man. I don't really know what else to say. Um, Going into last night, he was shooting below 40% from the field, only 34% from three, which is supposed to be like the one thing that he's really good at. He's has the 11th worst offensive rating in the league at 104, a 117 defensive rating, which is also not very good. Um, he's bottom 20 in true shooting percentage, um, bottom 25 in effective field goal percentage, bottom 10 in offensive win shares, bottom three in player efficiency rating, bottom 11 in box plus minus. So, I mean, he's not quite as bad as Wiggins this season, but I mean, for all intents and purposes, he's been one of the worst high usage players in the league this year. And I don't know what he does well at this point. He's not a good defender anymore. Uh, I know in his prime he was an all-defensive type guy, but he's just not that now. Um, he looks a step slow. He can't stay in front of guards. He's too small to guard bigger guys. He just He's a liability, to put it quite frank, on that end. And then offensively, he's never been a playmaker for others in any capacity. He's not a guy that puts the ball on the floor and gets to the basket. But that was okay because he was so, so elite at shooting um, both – off the catch and shoot. And he also used to shoot in the mid range uh, really effectively too, but now he's not doing those things. And so when you're kind of like a one skill type player and you aren't that good at that skill anymore, then you don't become useful as a player. (laughs) So he's, he's just cooked in my opinion. I, I just think he's, he should have signed whatever extension the Warriors offered him last year. Cause he's not going to get that kind of money. Uh, I think they said they offered him around $24, $25 million a year, but there's just no way in hell anyone will give him more than maybe the mid-level exception right now. So we will see. Um, it's not. It's been ugly for those two guys. Uh, Chris Paul has been good in some ways, bad in other ways. He's been really inefficient from the floor, only 41% from the field, which is a career low for him. He's got his lowest two-point percentage since 2007. Career low in free throw percentage. Uh, free throw attempts per game at only 1.6. So he's a great free throw shooter, but he doesn't get there anymore. So it doesn't really matter. Um, defensively, it's interesting because his advanced metrics are still pretty good and he does get a lot of steals, but it's just because he's got really great hands and he's high IQ player and he's still smart on that end. But it's the context is important here because they, when he's on the court, they just hide him on the other team's 3 and D guys. So like if they're playing the Nuggets, they're going to hide him on KCP in the corner they're playing the Suns. They're going to hide him on Grace Allen or Eric Gordon in the corner. Like he's not guarding the opposing opposing team's point guards anymore um, because he can't stay in front of those guys. They're too quick. He's not um, agile enough to stay in front of those guys. And at this point, he's probably a pretty useful backup point guard, and that's what he's been. But he's nothing more, so he's not going to be able to make up for the decline of Clay or the absence of <laughs> Wiggins just forgetting how to play basketball. Um, and his fit with the starter still hasn't been phenomenal, especially on the defensive end. Uh, they also just have no size whatsoever. Uh, Sharich is uh, the biggest player on the team, and he's uh, the only guy on the whole roster that's 6'10 or taller, but he's also extremely frail and, and really just 
can play small ball five in spurts, but he can't be relied on to do that um, in a large sample size. And they just won't have chances against any of these bigger teams. I mean, with the Lakers, with AD, we saw them get bullied by him and LeBron in the playoffs last year. That's a terrible matchup for them. The Nuggets, same thing. They're just never going to have an answer for Jokic. Um, even like the Wolves this year, Gobert and Towns, they've given them fits and I don't see any way that they'd be able to stay with them just with how big and physical they are in a playoff series. And then even guys like Nurkic on the Suns, like Nurkic is not very good, but he's played well against Golden State um, and they've rebounded pretty well in general when they've played them and been able to get to the basket at will. So I just have major, major questions about this roster and the, the last piece here and I was going to go on a rant about Steve Kerr, but he finally, finally has decided to switch things up because what I was going to say is that he absolutely needs to be willing to bench Clay and Wiggins, whether that be to start the game or in, more importantly, when they're closing the game for younger, better players. Because like Moses Moody has played better than those guys this year. Brandon Pajemski, like he just is better than Clay right now. Like I'm not sure what Clay is better at than him historically shooting. Pajemski's shooting over 41% from three this year. He's That's one of his biggest strengths as well. But guess what? He also can put the ball on the floor. He can get to the basket. He can create for others. He's averaging more assists than Clay in 10 less minutes per game this season. Um, he takes care of the ball. He's a high IQ guy. Um, he can finish at the basket. He's got a nice little floater game. Um, and he's totally passable on defense as well. So I... Pajemski was one of my favorite guys coming out of the draft, and he's looked good, so I, I still feel really good about that. But to me, he's he needs to get way more minutes. This guy should be playing over 30 minutes a game. Legitimately, outside of Steph Curry, I think Pajemski is their next best shot creator and uh, scorer with the ball in his hands at this point. I mean, um, and then Moody's like looked pretty good this year. He's been solid, to say the least. I mean, he's 49% from the field, 35% from three. Um, he is makes good decisions on the court, um, doesn't do anything silly. I mean, he takes mostly good shots, and he's a decent three-point shooter at this point. I know the vision for him was like a 3-and-D guy. He's kind of done that a little bit, but I think he needs to get more minutes in order to show what he can totally come into because, like I said, Clay's good for a 8-for-12 game, one out of every seven games like he had last night versus the Clippers, but... He's not doing it consistently enough, and Moody and Pajemski are just more consistent than him at this point. Kaminga's obviously going to get more run because Draymond's out. Um, I'm still not a huge Kaminga guy. I mean, he's he can't shoot. He's 28% from three this year, 66% from the line. He's a bit of a ball stopper. He's averaging less than an assist per year or per game this season. Um, but still, see what you got with those guys. Throw them out there because at this point, the lineups with those guys have in there have played better than the lineups with. Wiggins and Clay and, and Draymond anyway. So um, at the very least, you got to see what you got because I just, they're not going to win anything as currently constructed if they keep with this lineup. And to be honest, even if they play the, the young guys, I think that they'll play better, but I don't think that they're going to win anything regardless. So I really think that they need to make a move. And the question is just, will they be willing to make a move? Will they be willing to move off of Clay or Draymond, because honestly, that's what it's probably going to take to from a salary matching perspective. And what are you going to trade for a guy like a Zach Levine, and then play him and Steph and um, Clay, and then you've got Chris Paul, and it just complicates things. So 
Um, I'd love to see them go make a big move because to me, if they don't, then I'm not even certain they're going to make the playoffs. I don't think they're a top eight team currently right now. They're not great offensively. They've got one or two guys that can really go get a shot. They're not great defensively, and they just lost their best defensive player for an indefinite amount of time. They're one of the smallest teams in the league, and they have a rotation issue. Um, We'll see, though. I mean, Kerr, he benched Clay and Wiggins down the stretch versus the Suns. He just switched up the lineups and started Pajemski over Wiggins versus the Clippers last night. So hopefully he sticks with this, and we can see what they've got. But, um, yeah, I'm not (laughs) – I do not have high hopes for them at all this season, and they are just simply not in the class of other playoff contenders um, like we might have thought they were coming into this season. Moving over to the Bucks and Pacers game that happened earlier this week, this was an absolute masterclass from Giannis. Um, <laughs> he had 64 points, 14 rebounds, three assists, four steals, one block. He shot 20 for 28 from the field. He was 24 for 32 from the free throw line, which is really good for him. And this was one of the best games of his career. And honestly, he has been ridiculous against the Pacers this season. He's played three games against them so far. He has a 37-point game, a 54-point game, and a 64-point game. He's averaging almost 52 points per game in those three games. And even more ridiculous... He is shooting 52 for 72 from the field over that three-game sample, 72%, which is absurd, and and uh, which is impressive for him. He's 51 for 63 from the free throw line, which is 81%, well above his career average. We know he's obviously struggled there. Um, however, the the Bucks are only uh, one and two in those games. The Pacers uh, won the first two by uh, a two-point game back in early November, and then in the in-season tournament. Um, the Pacers knocked off Milwaukee, one twenty-eight to one nineteen, to advance to the final. Um, but then this game wasn't quite as close as the uh, Bucks did win by fourteen this time. Um, but these have been fun games, man. I'd, so they've the scores are one twenty-six, one twenty-four, one twenty-eight, one nineteen, one twenty-six, one forty. So one nineteen is the least anyone has scored in any of these games. They've scored everybody has had one twenty four or more except for the Bucks in one of the games and we got a one forty piece as well. Giannis has gone off pretty much every game. Halliburton has gone off pretty much every game. Um so it's no wonder that they they've had some pretty high intensity games at this point. So they had a whole issue after the game basically. It was already kind of a high tension game where Bobby Portis got ejected because Neesmith kind of threw Giannis down to the ground. The bench is nearly cleared. If you watch the replay, there's a pretty hilarious one where Thanasis like is absolutely losing his shit and looks like he wants to come in on the floor and fight someone. Not the Neesmith play wasn't even that bad. I mean, it it was definitely a hard foul, but like I, I'm yeah, <laughs> it was fine. Um but basically after the game, there was controversy over who was going to take the basketball. Um, so the the Pacers reportedly, like, right when the game ended, went and took the basketball back into their locker room. Um, they later said it was because Oscar Shibway, the rookie out of Kentucky, scored his first points, and so they wanted to give the ball to him, which is pretty funny because he actually has already scored in a game, but it was the final versus the Lakers, but that game technically doesn't count like for a regular season game. So that's one of those weird, like it's lost in history because it's not a regular season game. It's not a postseason game. Like I don't even know where you can go find those stats. So um, he has scored, but it was somewhat of an exhibition 
it in some capacity. Um, so that was what they said. Um, I don't really know if that's a thing. If I think about if two rookies played in the same game and they both score, like who gets the ball? Like it's just it happens too frequently for it to be like a thing because you only use one ball. Like in baseball, you hit your first home run, that ball's gone anyway. So you get the ball, it's cool. First hit, you swap the ball out. There's a million balls that are played within each game, probably double digit per game. Basketball, it's one ball. So I don't really think that's a thing. But regardless, um, Giannis was very adamant about getting the ball, um, presumably because he scored 64 points, which was not only a career high for him, but a franchise record for the Bucs, more than uh, Kareem or um, Oscar Robinson ever scored um, on the team. Um, But then later there was like, maybe he said he wanted it because Dame actually passed Kyle Culver to be fifth all-time in three-pointers made in this game. So who knows why Giannis wanted the ball. He didn't really clarify. Um, but then there was some video leaks where there was like a audio that you could kind of hear. And the Pacers players were like saying like, keep the ball. Don't give them the ball. There's Giannis screaming in Halliburton telling him to like, you go back there and you get that ball. Then there's the video of Giannis running like an absolute madman <laughs> into the locker room being held back by people and still just <laughs> trying to, and then Thanas is falling after him. There's some pretty funny angles and clips of this, but this whole thing was just bad look for everybody across the board. In my opinion, it's, it's pretty dumb. Um, I think the Pacers are extremely lame for, I mean, they were obviously just like trying to be assholes. They were being petty. They wanted to make sure they didn't get the ball. They're using the Shibway thing as a cop out, but I mean, you heard what they said. They were like, don't give them the ball. Don't give them the ball. So it's a, uh, it's there was no need for it, um, but then Giannis acted like a freak out there. <laughs> no pun intended with the, his nickname, but he was just—I mean—screaming in Halberton's face. That video looked so bad, like he was about to go fight somebody or, or something. So this whole thing was kind of just L's all around for both teams. It's a whole lot of nothing, if you ask me. But I will say, I think this—it's—it's it's not nothing in the sense of this could be a very fun rivalry that's sort of brewing between these two teams and it's a product of the in-season tournament. So that is, uh, they, they've already played three times this season and they still have two more to go. They play two times uh, back to back in January, which is right around the corner. So that should be very fun to watch those two games because clearly they are not fans of each other, but five games played in only what, basically three months. It'll be at that point. This is, good for basketball uh, to have these sort of uh, (laughs) rivalries between teams and kudos to the NBA and Adam Silver, because this probably doesn't happen if not for the in-season tournament, because all these games have been pretty high intensity. Um, The, in the in-season tournament game, Halliburton did the Dame time thing, which might've gotten on their nerves a little bit. So then this game, the Bucks kind of ran the score up a little bit at the end. um, And maybe the Pacers didn't like that, but it was probably due to, just how they acted in the in-season tournament game. So it's good for basketball overall, in my opinion, to have rivalries. Um, these two are in the same division. There's a pretty good chance they might play each other in the playoffs in like a 2-7 matchup or something like that. Or maybe even if uh, they both made the second round in the 1-4, who knows what it could be. Um, but it's also funny from a matchup standpoint because they're both they're both kind of terrible matchups for each other in different ways. Uh, which is what makes the game fun because they're both terrible defensive matchups for one another. Like the the Pacers simply just cannot guard Giannis. I told you he's, his stats. He's averaging over 50 points per game against them. Uh, every time they play, they don't have anybody they can throw at him. I mean, Miles Turner can't guard him at all. And then they've just got nobody else. Obi Toppin is not a very good defender, sp- especially not on a guy like Giannis. 
they've had Neesmith guarding him at times, who's only six five. Uh, so they just can't they can't guard this guy. And then the Bucks also cannot guard Halliburton at all. I mean, Halliburton's been going off against everybody, but he's had three very good games against the Bucks as well. Because Dame can't guard him. Uh, Malik Beasley certainly can't guard him. Uh, they don't have like a Jake, Jay Crowder out there right now. Pat Connaughton's been in and out of the lineup as well. So they just don't have a guy that can guard him at all. So it, it's pretty cool that they both have nobody that can guard the opposing team stars, which is why we're getting these fun, um, high-scoring games. Uh, obviously, I think the Bucks are the better team. I think their defense is better than Indiana's overall. They've got more experience. But it would be very fun if they ended up playing each other in the playoffs. Um, and I'm definitely looking forward to those early January games where they play back to back. Um, because it's been a lot of tension between these two teams, uh, considering it's only mid December. Um, and it's really the first year that Indiana has even been kind of relevant. So, uh, but ultimately a whole lot of nothing <laughs> in terms of what happened the other night. Um, I think both teams were kind of acting out a bit, but, uh, excited to see them play moving forward. Uh, moving over to the Clippers. So I know they lost their first four games that they had uh, after trading for James Harden, after they looked really good to start the season as well. They were, I believe, top five in net rating as a team before they acquired him. Um, but there was the report a uh, couple weeks ago that Russell Westbrook basically came to Ty Lue and said, I will come off the bench. I volunteer, um, which I remember when that happened, I was like, honestly, Kudos to Russ, man, because I've not a lot of players have done that for guys that are former MVPs to come to your coach and just willingly say, I want to come off the bench to better the team. So respect to him. Um, and it was kind of a smart move because if they continue to play poorly, then, well, it's not Russ's fault. He moved to the bench. And then if they play better, then it's like, oh, what a great sacrifice by Russ. So it's like a win-win scenario reputationally for him. Um, and a smart decision because... Um, he was not looking good in those four games when they were starting him and Harden together. But in their last 14 games, they are 11-3. and three. In that span, they've got a plus 7.6 net rating, which is fourth in the entire NBA. They have a top five defensive rating in the entire NBA in that span. Um, and they've beaten some pretty good teams, too. They beat the Rockets, the Mavericks, the Nuggets, the Warriors twice, the Kings twice. So it's not like they've had some cupcake schedule over that span. Um, and probably most importantly for this team, the five-man lineup of Harden, Paul George, Kawhi, Zubats, and Terrence Mann is a plus 13.9 from a net rating perspective, which is the third best five-man lineup for anyone in the league with at least 200 minutes played with each other. Only the Celtics and Bucks have been better, which obviously those are two of the teams that people think are major contenders in the league this year. And just to put into perspective the difference it's made with Russ off the bench. So in the minutes with Russ and Harden on the court together, they are a minus 12.2 net rating. But with just Harden, they're a plus 13.9. And then with just Russ, they're plus 6.4. So without with Russ and Harden on the court together, they are abysmal, one of the worst teams in the league. With just Harden on the court, they are one of the best teams in the league, if not the best team from a rating perspective. And then with just Russ on the court, they are still a very good team. Uh, but not quite as good as with Harden out there. So clearly the that staggering their minutes has been beneficial for this team. And just to put into perspective the the players and the impact it's had, those four games when, when Russ was starting, it was not just Russ and Harden. It was affecting Kawhi specifically was majorly affected by that. He was taking less shots. He was not 
getting to his spot as much. Um, he's, his shooting percentages were way down. Paul George also wasn't shooting the ball well in those bands. So in the four games uh, when Russ was in the lineup, Kawhi was averaging only 18 points per game on 43% from the field and 35% from three. In the 13 games since, he's up to almost 26 points per game now on 54% from the field and 42% from three. So he's back to looking like the absolute superstar that we all know he is. And then Paul George, his overall stats have been pretty similar. He was 23 points per game in the four games with Russ, 21 with him on the bench. Shooting percentage is about the same, 42 and 43%, but the three-point percentage has gone way up. He was 29% from three in the four games with Russ starting and 38% with him on the bench. And then Harden has been the biggest uh, beneficiary here. I mean, in those four games, Harden was only 14 and a half a game, under four assists per game. This is a guy who led the league in assists per game last season, shooting 43% from the field, 35% from three, so really underwhelming from him. But in the 13 games since, he's up above 17 points per game and eight assists per game, so not quite where he was last season just in terms of uh, production. Uh, but he's got more guys that are taking shots from him, so... And he's running less pick and rolls with Embiid like he was last year. So these assists are down a little bit. He's also shot the ball a lot better, though. 46% from the field and 43% from three, which is a really high number for him. And then Russ's numbers are, I mean, they're, they've gone down overall. I mean, in the games he started all season, he was 14, 7, and 6 on 47%. As a reserve, he's down to 9, uh, 6, and 4 on 43%. So his his numbers have taken a hit. For sure. But, you know, that's someone's had to. And we all knew that someone was going to have to take sacrifice when they traded for him on this podcast. I talked about how it's not going to work between those two. Like one of them just is going to have to take a back seat, And because they just traded for Harden and Harden is pretty much consensus viewed as the much better player at this point. I think most people thought it was going to be Russ and it has been. And that's OK. Um, they still got some work to do overall. But the early panic button stuff was obviously way premature they were not going to be a, a bottom feeder team in the west um, and now they look like one of the potential at least contenders to win a round or two in the west um, they have changed up the rotation a little bit as well pj tucker and bones highland have pretty much been out of the rotation so we'll see what happens with that they, they've instead been playing kobe brown who's their first round rookie um and I mean, he hasn't shot the ball great, but I think they like what he does defensively and doesn't demand shots or anything like that. A little versatile on the defensive end. And then Daniel Tice, who they got from the Pacers um, via buyout. Uh, he's been a solid replacement for Mason Palmley. I mean, he's a, a pretty good backup big that we've seen over the years, and he can stretch the floor a little bit, which is something that Zubats and uh, Plumley cannot do. But yeah, Clippers, I they've looked like a totally different team, uh, a really solid team. I... I s still feel the same way about them that I did when they made the trade where I was like, look, they, they've got, they have a better chance now than they did before the trade, in my opinion. And I think that they are a dangerous team that you probably wouldn't want to play in the playoffs, but I don't think they're going to beat Denver. Um, I probably am picking Phoenix or the Lakers over them in a series, assuming health for everybody. But that's the other thing is that assuming health for this team is tough. Kawhi and Paul George have not played in a full playoff series together in uh, it'll be three years by the time the playoffs roll around. So we'll see. Also, the idea of Harden and Russ and even Paul George to an extent in a playoff series together. Not exactly uh, 
great track record uh, for those guys in the playoffs. So we'll, we'll see. But um, it's encouraging to see them playing so well. Um, a lot of people were saying this was a disaster after four games. And hard, it was hard not to after four games. But I, we need to relax a little bit. They're, they're a solid team. They're going to be a top five, six seed in the West. Um, and I, I'm, I'm excited to see what kind of ceiling this version of them get uh, has. So. And lastly, I want to talk about the bottom feeders of the NBA. The Pistons, Spurs, and Wizards have collectively gone 1-54 and in their last 55 games. And the only win was when two of them played each other. The Wizards beat the Pistons, so one of them had to win that game. So they have essentially lost every possible game between the three teams that they could over a 55-game sample. The Wizards have lost 15 out of 16. The Spurs have lost 18 in a row, and the Pistons have lost 21 games in a row. Just remarkable. I can't remember a time that we've had three teams just be this horrible (laughs) for this long. I mean, the Pistons, to me, are the worst of it. They Not only have they lost 21 in a row, which is more than the other two teams, They've only had one game in that span that finished as a one-game position, uh, one possession game. So they have not even been close to winning any of these games. They haven't won a game since October. It is mid-December. If they make it to January, they're going to break the record. And their two wins are over the Bulls and Hornets, who both stink this year. <laughs> um, their next two games are against the Sixers and Bucks. So I'll just go ahead and break the news. The losing streak's going to get to 23. <laughs> uh, after that, there are some winnable games, but to them, it doesn't seem like any of them are winnable at this point. And I think the biggest reason they've been really bad is because Kate Cunningham has been very disappointing. Um, There's a lot of talks about him being a potential future star. I know last year he was injured for the majority of the season, which prevented him from kind of having that second year and potentially take that leap. But Guess what? In his third season, he looks no better than he did as a second-year player and really not much better than he did as a rookie either. Among the guys with 25% or higher usage rate, so the high usage guys in the league, he has the fourth-worst offensive rating in the league. Only Jordan Poole, Jaden Hardy, and Wemby are worse. He has the eighth-worst defensive rating in the league, worse worse than guys like Lomelo, Dame, Cam Thomas. Um, he's a minus 19 net rating. He's the fourth worst true shooting percentage in the league behind only Jordan Poole, Jordan Clarkson, and Jaden Hardy. He has the fifth worst effective field goal percentage, the second worst win shares in the whole NBA behind only Jordan Poole, the fourth worst uh, box plus minus behind Poole, Clarkson, and Hardy. Uh, As you can tell, Poole, Clarkson, and Hardy are also not having very good years. (laughs) Uh, The fifth worst player efficiency rating. He's leading the NBA in turnovers per game. He doesn't get to the free throw line at all. Among guys with usage rate of 30 or higher this year, he's got the third lowest free throw attempts in the entire NBA. And among guys with 30 uh, usage rate or higher in NBA history, of all (laughs) NBA history, he's got the 12th lowest free throw uh, attempts per game. He's tied with a 37-year-old 20th season Kobe Bryant when he was a complete shell of himself. And he still got to the line only as much as... uh, Kate Cunningham. <laughs> um, he has as many games this year with six or more turnovers as he does shooting 45% or better. 
They're 0-11 when he takes 20 or more shots. They're 0-13 when he takes 6 or more threes. He's only had 4 out of 23 games total with a positive net rating. And the only way he gets points is if he shoots a lot because he doesn't get to the line. He doesn't shoot well from 3. He's averaging only 1.1 points per shot. So to do the math on that, like if he wants to score 28 uh points he'd have to take 25 shots 22 points he'd have to take 20 shots 17 points he have to uh take 15 shots so he's inefficient as as it gets and he turns the ball over and I know that Cade gets the benefit of the doubt way more than a guy like Jalen Green for example but if in reality if you really look at it Jalen Green has a higher career field goal percentage higher career three-point percentage higher career effective field goal percentage he's shot two more free throw attempts per game one and a half less turnovers a game. He's got an offensive rating better by nine full points. He's got a significantly better true shooting percentage. He's got nearly five more offensive win shares, and he's more durable. He's played 64 more games in three years. And look, I am not advocating for Green over Cade. That's not what I'm getting at. I am just exploring the false narrative that Green is not well-liked across the league. People think he's a shot chucker. He doesn't play defense. He's low IQ player. And a lot of people think Cade is this future star. But in reality, they've been about the same. If In a lot of ways, Green has been better. Um, and it's look, it's year three for Cunningham now. Like, rookie year, get a pass. I've always said this. Rookie year stats, I you can throw them out. I really don't care. Year three, it's when it starts to matter. I mean, look at the, the true stars in the league. By year three, all of them are starting to make absolute strides. And Cade just has not made any sort of significant improvement this year. And... Personally, I if he doesn't show it soon, at least in the second half of this season, then I'm just not going to be sold on him being anything more than maybe a, a solid starter or role player. But in order to do that, he needs to lower his usage rate significantly. Um, the inefficiency that he plays with and the usage that he has, it's just it's never, ever going to lead to wins. So either he needs to t- take a step back um, from a usage perspective or he needs to majorly up his efficiency, but that combination is just, you're going to be a bad team no matter what. Um, but he's not the only thing wrong with this team. Monty Williams has not been good. Um, they just made him the highest paid coach in NBA history. And look, I Monty has been great at times in his career. I think he is a very good motivator. He's a good culture setter. Um, he's got had good influences on young players in the past. Uh, he's a good leader, but he has always had some strange rotation uh, decisions. He was obsessed with playing Landry Shama in Phoenix when every single fan in the world wanted him to not play. This year, Jaden Ivey has started only six games after starting 73 games last year um, and playing over 30 minutes a game. He's had multiple DMPs, coach decision, um, and he's only played 20 minutes or less in basically half his games. And This is a guy that they spent a top five pick on that – there was rumors that people were willing to trade established borderline all-stars for just for the rights to draft this guy. Um, and he looked pretty good as a rookie. He obviously played like a rookie, but um, he showed flashes enough to think that he could be a really good player. And then Osar Thompson, Marcus Sasser, these are guys that have had significant uh, flashes this year, playing well in different ways. Osar as a defender and rebounder. Sasser has looked really good offensively and as a shooter. Um, but both of them have had inconsistent minutes. I mean, Thompson lost his starting spot to Kevin Knox for a little bit. Isaiah Livers is starting over this guy. Uh, Marcus Sasser has had DMPs as well after 
I mean, he's been their most efficient and probably the, looked the best among all their guards on the whole roster this season. And Monty just is continuously playing guys like Killian Hayes, who we've seen for years now. He just is what he is. He's gonna he's at best a backup point guard. So I don't I don't know why you're willing to stunt Ivy's growth just to play him. Um, it, the argument would be, well, we think we can win more games with him. But guess what? You're not winning more games. So what's the point? Um, and this team really should not be this bad. They're on pace for seven wins. It would be the worst in NBA history. Um, and they just need to consolidate some talent. They've got a lot of jam at guard um, and to an extent big man, but they just don't have enough wings. And all their wings are like older players like uh, Bogdanovich, um, Alex Burks, just not guys that you need to be investing in. And then they've just got too many like guys like Ivy and Sasser, like either trade them for value while it's not totally killed or play them over guys like Hayes and Monty Morris. And it's, they just need to get better positional fit. They need to consolidate some of their log jams into positions that make more sense for them. Moving to the Spurs, they've lost 18 in a row. Um, I'm not as surprised by this one. I genuinely am surprised the Pistons are this bad. I, I, I can't explain it. Um, I think it was always silly to think that Wembenyama could get them winning early. I mean, if you look at even the most generational talents we've had over the past decades, they don't win as rookies. LeBron went 35 and 47. Luka went 33 and 49. KD went 20 and 62. And look, Michael Jordan made the playoffs, but he still was only 38 and 44. That was a bad Eastern Conference, and it was easier to make the playoffs back then. Um so none of these guys had winning records to think that they were going to compete for like a plan or playoff spot. Uh, that, that was just a pipe dream, in my opinion. Um, and when Minyama's stats, his advanced stats have been really bad among the league's worst in terms of just offensive metrics and efficiencies, but that's okay. Like I said, I don't put much stock in a rookie stats, especially efficiency. Look at a guy like Paolo Bancaro put up stats, but was not efficient last year. And then year two, he's not up to his volume much, but majorly up to his efficiency, which is a huge uh, just thing you want to see out of a guy in his second year. So I'm sure Wemby can do that by year two or three. He's going to be much more efficient from the field. But I think the bigger issue here is just that their supporting cast was way overblown. It, it's just not very good, to put it quite frank. I mean, Jeremy Sohan has been playing out of position all year. I've, I'm not going to beat that one to death. I've already talked at length about it. Trey Jones, nothing more than a backup, most likely. I mean, he's just not a starting caliber point guard in the league. Uh, Devin Vassell and Kelvin Johnson, both of them are talent. Both of them are still very inconsistent. They can be sporadic with their shot selection. Uh, they don't always make great decisions. They're not the most efficient at times. And look, neither of them project as all-stars. I think they both can be solid starters, definitely. I mean, they both have averaged right around 20 points per game at times over the past few years. But a lot of that was out of necessity and just their role on this team of not having guys that can do that. So they were the ones that stepped up. And then... After those guys, I mean, nobody else on this roster projects as anything more than just like a decent role player at best, in my opinion. They also have zero veteran presence whatsoever. I mean, they have one player in their 30s on the entire roster, and it's Doug McDermott. The second oldest player on the team is Devontae Graham, and he's only in his sixth season. Um, and look at a team like Houston and what adding veterans did to their locker room with Van Vliet, Jeff Green, Dylan Brooks. They're significantly better, especially on the defensive end, which has been a huge weakness for San Antonio as well. Um, and just having adults in the room other than the coaches tends to be pretty useful for these young teams. Um, but I say all that to say, I think the Spurs can rebuild this thing quickly. Um, they need a real point guard. I don't think Sohan's long-term option there. Um, they just need veteran players, veteran ball handlers. 
they could use a legit scoring threat or two that's at least efficient. They need more shooting. They don't have very much shooting. They definitely need, need help defensively. But the thing is, they have a ton of cap space. They have all their picks to make it happen. They've got some young players that would field some assets on the uh, trade market. So I'm not worrying a ton about San Antonio at this point because I think that they have a lot of options to get better. It's the first year with Wemby. I'm not freaking out. Um, as opposed to Detroit, who's had the same kind of core players for a couple years and just made investments to potentially like, at least take somewhat of a leap this year, which they have not even remotely done. So that's why it's definitely concerning. And then just moving to the Wizards. Um, this one is the most excusable for me because I think we knew that they were going to be awful. Uh, I had them coming into this year as the worst team in the league. If you looked at my contender rankings for this year, I had them as the worst record in the league. If you looked at my standings predictions for this year, and there's really three reasons why I thought that. And all three have basically come to fruition. I mean, their defense projected as being terrible and it is terrible. Their defensive rating is 122, which would rank as the worst in NBA history. And I don't think it's going to improve at any time. So I'm sure that they will secure that this season. Um, the two lowest defensive ratings among high usage players in the entire NBA are none other than Kyle Kuzma and Jordan Poole. (laughs) Uh, funny enough. And then the other part of it is just those two guys right there. I mean, they're led by two majorly inefficient volume scorers. So Poole is dead last or bottom three in pretty much every single offensive metric across the board. He's a turnover machine. He's always been an overrated shooter. I mean, he's 29% from three this year. And he had a rep as a good shooter, but he's 33% from three for his career. So certainly that is not actually accurate. Uh, If you look at the numbers, he had one pretty good year with the Warriors shooting. Other than that, he's been average or well below average. Uh, Terrible basketball IQ. We know that. There's some pretty hilarious uh, videos that go around on Twitter or X or whatever um, of just him taking terrible shots. I mean, he did like a little turnaround shot that wasn't close. He did a dribble up in someone's face and got blocked there's a slow-mo one where it bricks so badly he doesn't even hit the rim off the side of the backboard his shot selection is just bad he's dead last in both offensive and defensive rating among high usage players which is hard to do i mean i said this about wiggins but there's a case that pool is the worst high usage player in the entire nba this season um and then kuzma is slightly better from an efficiency standpoint i mean he's not shooting around 40 percent like pool is uh but we know that he's not close to being a, t- a top option and not even a top two option. He's best as probably a fourth option if we're being realistic. Um, but he, he's just not that guy. Uh, so any team led by Pooler and Kuzma, two guys that are certainly not shy from chucking the ball up, was never going to be good, especially when you pair with how bad their defense is. Not only those two, but just the team overall. And then lastly, this roster is just not very good. Um, I had pretty high hopes for Tyus Jones coming into the year. But he's been very meh, to say the least. Um, He hasn't really taken any sort of leap with his opportunity like I was hoping he would. Um, And then guys like Denny Avdia, uh, Bilal Koulibaly, Daniel Gafford, they've all been pretty good. You know, decent bright spots. But the problem is all of them project as basically just role players. I mean, Gafford's a good rim protector. He can rebound some, but not much on offense that he's offering. Avdia, I like. He's not a great shooter, but... He can score. He can get himself a shot. He's a decent defender. Um, got pretty good size, but pretty good at a lot of things. Not great at anything in, in particular. And the cool Bali has surprised me a bit. I, I was not high on him coming out of the draft, but he's actually shot the ball really well, surprisingly. 
um, despite not being a good shooter really any other level that he's played in. Um, but he's been inconsistent for sure. Um, but he, you'd have to be encouraged with him thus far, given his age. And then um, no one after those guys really project as even decent role players. I mean, Johnny Davis has been a huge bust. Um, Kispert's fine. He can make threes, doesn't do really anything else. Bad defender as well. Um, no one else on the team's really of interest. Just a bunch of old veterans like Shamit and Gallinari, guys that are past their prime or just like not as good as they used to be and not really worth any sort of assets at this point. But I want to clarify that this is okay. Um, like I said, this is the most excusable among the three of these teams. This is their first year of rebuilding. It takes time. Um, the Spurs were terrible last year. They were not very good the year before that. And then you look at the Pistons, they've been bad for years. I mean, they've only made like one playoff appearance in the last decade or so, and they were like a seven or eight seed um, and got swept. So they are just, they have been building on years of, they've had what, three or four top five picks at this point. The Wizards haven't picked in the top five since I want to say Bradley Beal (laughs) back in what, 2012. So they, this was expected. They were supposed to be bad. They want to be bad. It's a, easy way to be bad is just get some guys that throw up a ton of shots and don't play defense. So they need to have a few more years under their belt to just accumulate some talent, get some top picks, see where they're at. Um, so the wizards, while they are tough, it's a, they're a tough watch, uh, <laughs> but it's okay. This was expected by them. And we just had some breaking news come in, actually, as I was recording this podcast that Darius Garland and Evan Mobley are both expected to have surgery. Uh, Mobley's will be knee surgery that he'll be out six to eight weeks, so basically two months of the season. Garland is jaw surgery, uh, and he's going to be out about a month. So they're going to be without both those guys for at least a month and then without Mobley for probably two months. And look, the Cavs, they haven't been great this year anyway um i mean they were the four seed last season won 50 games and this year so far they're only 13 and 12 after having the number one defense in the league last year they're only the eighth um best defensive team this season 24th in offensive rating after being ninth last year so they're taking a pretty major step backwards um offensively and a slight step backwards defensively but this i mean this will kill their season they I doubt they'll even make the playoffs at this point. They'll probably nosedive just because those guys are both, I mean, Mitchell's their best player, but those are their next two best guys. They're so important to what they do. Garland is um, the main initiator for this offense. He's the really only other guard that can create for others or go get a shot for himself outside of Mitchell on this team, um, outside of Levert. But Levert is just not... (laughs) He's a little too inconsistent and not as good of a decision maker as Garland is, um, which you need a good decision maker next to Mitchell because that's kind of been his weakness as a even though he's an all star player. And then Mobley, I mean, he is not the anchor of his defense. That's more so Jared Allen, but he is what makes his defense special in terms of just his versatility. He can guard uh, smaller guys. He's an elite shot blocker, um, great weak side defender. Um, coming as a help defender with Allen's uh, in the paint. Um, And yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's a lot of offense. It's a lot of defense that they're losing. I I doubt they make the playoffs at this point, and this is really less about this season because now the pressure is on 
for Donovan Mitchell. He's only got one year left on his deal after this year. They might want to even consider trading him, to be honest, because there's already been major rumblings that he was going to not re-sign with Cleveland anyway. He is extension eligible after this season. Um, but I I don't see why he would re-sign. I mean, he's going to be – he's 27. He'll be 28 next year. He's got a player option in 2026 in his age 29 season, which he will surely decline because he can get a much longer-term, more lucrative deal while he's still got years of his prime left. So we'll see. Um, this is not good for Cleveland, uh, and less so for this season, but more so just because of, like I said, what this means for Donovan Mitchell. Um, this is going to be a lost season, and maybe the Donovan Mitchell trade will now go down as a mistake because they had a really nice season last year uh, with him, and it, I just don't see how they're going to be able to persuade him to stay if they miss the playoffs this year. It'll be the first time in his career that he's missed the playoffs. So look for teams like New York, Brooklyn, Miami to potentially be interested. I think Miami's probably the best fit here, and Hero is probably the best player that they're going to be able to get back um, in a trade. So uh, we'll see if it happens this offseason. We'll see if it happens this year. Probably more likely this offseason. However, they probably won't be able to get as much for him in the offseason because they'll only have one year left, whereas this year he'll have the year and a half. So that's two potential postseason runs you have with him before he would be a free agent. But total just absolute bummer for the Cavs. Um, and, yeah, I, that op- opens up a likely playoff spot in the East for these younger teams like uh, Indiana, Orlando, who – both of which are already uh, safely in the playoffs right now, but um, maybe a team like Brooklyn, uh, Toronto could sneak in, which I don't know if Toronto should want to sneak in, but um, yeah, it, it, it's tough, and we'll see what this does for Mitchell, but it, it's the writing might be on the wall for him leaving town and for this team because if he leaves, I just don't know what direction they're heading. I mean, they've got two really young, really good guys, but... They don't really have the means to add anybody because they gave up picks to get Mitchell. Um, they're not going to be bad enough to get another top pick. They're certainly not a free agent destination. Um, so, I mean, I hope that they can figure something out. I mean, maybe they can swing the picks they get from the Mitchell trade to get another win-now guy, but I, I don't know. It, it's certainly not looking good for them and that's going to do it for this episode of the sean jones nba show thank you so much for listening um i probably won't record until after the new year just because the holidays are coming up and i will be um, away with family but um glad i was able to get another one in this week there was just too much that was going on uh too many uh things to talk about to not have another one this week even though i just did the in-season tournament recap one earlier this week but um yeah we'll see new year two three weeks from now we'll get a lot more of a sample size for a lot of these teams i know it's still we're about a quarter through the season but still a lot of season left to go and if you look back at the standings a year ago at the quarter mark still a lot changed so um excited to see where we are in a couple weeks and um yep thanks so much for listening and i will chat with you then Thank you.